Anybody here ever hear of the Mona Lisa? We have a cultured crowd here tonight. Okay. The uh, Mona Lisa is probably the most famous painting of all time, uh, done by Leonardo da Vinci way back in 1503. Uh, sadly, on four occasions, vandals have attempted to severely damage this masterpiece. And it's kind of amazing to me, for 400 years, nobody did anything. But in 1956, somebody threw some acid on the lower half of the painting. Also that same year, a Bolivian man threw a rock at the painting, uh, causing a chip that was later repaired. In 1974, a handicapped woman, uh, upset by the museum's lack of access for the disabled, spray-painted the Mona Lisa while it was in the Tokyo National Museum. And then in 2009, at the Louvre in Paris, a Russian woman who was mad at being denied French citizenship threw a mug at the painting. By the way, a mug she had purchased at the Louvre's gift shop, so kind of ironic there. But uh, what, what a sad thing that people would intentionally try to damage a masterpiece that was created 500 years ago. Uh, we've been hearing in the news over the last several years what uh, ISIS has been doing in the Middle East and, and going into museums and monasteries and, and just destroying an awful lot of artwork and an lot awful lot of antiquities. And, and what a sad thing that these things that have been recognized as masterpieces down through the centuries are being destroyed. Now, it's even more serious. When, when people do things to mar the marvelous handiwork of Almighty God. Uh, several weeks ago, we looked at the work of God in the body and in the life of a man by the name of Naaman, a Syrian general by the name of Naaman. If you have your Bibles, you might open them again tonight to 2 Kings chapter 5. And we saw that how Naaman, even though he had so much going for him, uh, was stricken with leprosy, probably in the very early stages of leprosy. Noticed some sores on his body. And uh, back then there was absolutely no cure for leprosy, so it was a, not only a death sentence, but it also meant people were going to be ostracized from society and everything else. Well, it turns out that uh, there was a young Hebrew slave girl who'd been uh, carried in captivity by the Syrian army and she was the maid for Naaman's wife. And uh, we talked about her before, that kind of an amazing thing, that she was not bitter and, and excited that Naaman was stricken with leprosy, but rather she had compassion on him and said, boy, it's too bad that uh, you're not in, in Israel where there's a prophet. Uh, there's a prophet in Israel. It turns out that prophet is Elisha. And if, if he could have just gotten to Elisha, something could have been done for him. Well, Naaman... Uh, you know, sometimes people get desperate when they have hopeless physical conditions. They'll do just about anything to try to uh, get it taken care of. That's why the faith healers rake in so many dollars that they do from desperate people. At any rate, he goes to the king, and the king uh, gives him uh, treasures, really, to take down to Israel. And so he goes down to the 
the uh, king of Israel, Jehoram, at the time, and uh, brings a note from the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. And Jehoram, he's all upset about it. He goes, hey, the, the king of Syria is trying to pick a fight with me because he wants me to get this guy healed from leprosy. Am I God that I can heal a leper? And obviously he wasn't. But e Elisha gets word of what's going on, and so he says, uh, God will do something here. So we find that Naaman then shows up at the house of Elisha, and uh, Elisha doesn't even come and meet him. It's not that he was being rude, but uh, one of the things this fellow Naaman needed was some lessons in humility. So Elisha sends his servant to meet Naaman, and he says, what you need to do is you go and go down to the River Jordan, about 25 miles away, and you dip yourself in the River Jordan seven times. And if you will do that, the promise of God is that you will be cleansed. Well, first of all, Naaman doesn't like that. Uh, first of all, Elisha the prophet didn't even come down to meet him. He's taking great offense at that. And secondly, he's told to go to, to dip in the muddy waters of the Jordan River. He says, we got, we got a whole lot cleaner rivers back in Syria. And I, and I could go back and wash in, in those rivers. And so he's taken off in a real tiff. But one of his aides says to him, if, if you were asked to do something really, really hard, you would do it. You would do it. So why not? Go dip in the Jordan River. So he does. And uh, lo and behold, God keeps his promise. And we find that Naaman ends up being purified. Purified not only physically, but he also becomes purified spiritually. With this great healing, he recognizes there is only one God. And he's Yahweh, the true and the living God of Israel, the God of the Bible. And he said, he's the only God that I will, that I will worship. And so there's a great cleansing that's taken place here. And uh, then he turns on, he, he wants to pay for it. And Elisha refuses any payment for it from all the treasures that he brought. And really what we have here is we have a, a beautiful picture of salvation. Now this is a... These are real historical events that happen. Don't, don't mistake that. These are historical events. Naaman's a real man. Elisha's a real man. Uh, the kings of Israel and Syria were real men. This is a historical happening. But we find that God chose to have it recorded in Scripture for us. And one of the reasons is not just to tell us about the, the power of God to do something like this, but what a picture this is of salvation that we can have through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that we see here God's masterpiece. And we see a number of things to stand out. First of all, the power of God as he heals him from this leprosy. We see the uh, basis for God's provision. Why should he do this for Naaman? Naaman was a Syrian general. The Syrians were enemies of Israel. They had carried some of the Israelis captive into into Syria. That's how that girl got to be in the house of Naaman. He didn't deserve this healing. He didn't deserve anything good from the hand of Almighty God. He had worshipped false gods in Syria. But how, what, what kind of salvation does God give us? What's the basis for it? 
It's grace. He gives his unmerited favor. What he does for Naaman is totally undeserved, but God does it for him in amazing, amazing fashion. We find that it also demonstrates what was necessary for him to be able to tap in to God's provision. He had to believe. He had to trust. First of all, he starts out ticked off, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with this. But then he goes down, and he listens to the word of the prophet and dips in the Jordan River, and it's interesting. He has him do it seven times. I would imagine about the fifth time he's feeling kind of foolish. You know, here I'm dipping, nothing's happened, my skin's not getting any better. But uh, the seventh time, we're told his skin became like the skin of a baby. And he's completely healed, completely purified by Almighty God. What, what would have happened if he had not believed the word of the prophet and gone down there to the Jordan River and dipped himself in the muddy waters of the Jordan River what would happen? He'd have continued in his leprosy, wouldn't he? And what if he hadn't done it seven times? He'd have continued in his leprosy. But he believed God. He believed God. How do we get saved? We believe God. We believe the promise of John 3.16. We believe the, the promise of John 1.12. We believe the promise of Acts 16.31. We believe the promise of God in Romans 10.9. Uh, we believe God's promises about giving us salvation as a free gift if we'll put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe God, he counts it to us for righteousness, just like he did for Abraham, just like he did for Naaman. The basis for salvation is grace. We tap into that grace with faith. That's all we can bring to God is our faith. All we can do is believe God or reject God. And when we believe him, we receive a wonderful, wonderful salvation. We also see something in the healing of Naaman about God's wonderful deliverance of us in salvation. First of all, it's immediate. Aren't you glad that there's not a, a minimum requirement of six months to be in a process of getting saved? Now just think if somebody was in that process and three months into the process, they died. That, that's not the way it is. In fact, the Bible says we, we need to be born again. And we're born again at a point in time when we choose to believe God and repent of our sin. It's immediate. Naaman's healing was immediate. The moment that he dipped for that seventh time, his, his skin became just as clear as, as it could possibly be. And our salvation... The moment we put our trust in Christ, the moment we repent of our sin, we're transformed into children of God. Instead of being sinners on our way to hell, we're redeemed sinners on our way to heaven. It happens in, the, in an instant. Now, there may be some things that lead up to it uh, where we're gaining understanding about salvation, but it's that point in time when we choose to demonstrate saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We become just as righteous as Jesus. We become fully forgiven. It's a good thing we don't get partly forgiven at that point, or, or we'd be in bad shape. But we're fully forgiven the moment that we trust Christ. And, and, and here's one of the big things, is the fact that this salvation that God gives to us is absolutely free. 
Naaman brought all kind of treasures from Syria with him, all kind of silver and gold and, and new garments. And he's ready, to, he's ready to bribe his way to health. He's ready to pay his way to health. Uh, he's ready to pay whatever it costs. And he had a, a treasure well over a million dollars that he brings with him. And uh, we find that as he gets this healing from God, we find that uh, he offers treasure to Elisha. And Elisha says no. And, and he says to him again, hey, take something. Let me give you something. And Elisha is resolute. And he says no. You know, sometimes we'll turn something down and somebody says, well, come on, take. Okay. But that wasn't Elisha. He, he stands solid in this. And the thing that he's picturing is the fact that, you know what, we cannot earn or buy our salvation. We also can never repay God for our salvation. We can't buy it ahead of time. We can't pay for it afterwards. It is a free gift. Naaman's healing here and his salvation were a free gift from Almighty God. That's a masterpiece. That's the masterpiece of grace, salvation by grace through faith. That's God's masterpiece. And we get a wonderful picture of it here in the experience of, of Naaman and Elisha. But sadly, just like the Mona Lisa, uh, a couple of, couple of things happen, several things happen that mess up, mess up the masterpiece, spoil the picture. This is a picture of what salvation is. And a few things happen here that help to, to mess that up. They, they don't detract from God. They don't completely destroy the imagery, but they do mar the picture a bit. And we find that there's some working by Naaman, and there's also some uh, marring by a fellow by the name of Gehazi. And we want to talk about that for just a little bit. First of all, remember his cleansing, immediate, uh, in accord with the promise of God through Elisha, uh, and at verse 15, great statement here. It says, Then he returned to the man of God and he and all his aides and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. Well, what a great statement. He's got a great recognition here. There's no other God. There's only one God. No gods in Syria. The only God there is is the God in Israel. And uh, he's determined to, to live for that one God. He says in verse 7, he says, if, Please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods but to the Lord, to Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the proper name for God. Sometimes people call it Jehovah. Uh, probably the, the best translation is, is Yahweh. But he's talking, I'm only going to worship the true and the living God, the covenant God of Israel. He's the only one. That's his determination. And that's all good. But he, he kind of mars the picture a little bit here because he wants to pay for for what he got and verse 15 indeed now I know there's no God in all the earth except in Israel now therefore please take a gift from your servant let me give you something 
Let, let me pay for a little bit for the healing that I got. Verse 16, he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him, Take it. Well, what did Elisha do? He refused. He wouldn't take it. He wouldn't take a thing. Well, we find that, uh, that uh, Naaman kind of mars the picture a little bit because he has this continuing desire to pay for the work of God in his life. Isn't it wonderful the way God works in our lives? Aren't you thankful for the way that God works in our lives? He gives us life. He gives us eternal life. He gives us every good and perfect gift. Can you pay God for that? We can't pay God for that. What do we do? We say thank you. Lord, thank you for what you've done to me. Thank you what you've done in me. Thank you what you've done for me. And then we can, we can live for him. And we should. We should live gratefully. But all we can do is be grateful. We can't pay for God. We can't repay God. And it, it's kind of messing up the picture a little bit here. Please take something. Take something. Elisha, no, no way. As the Lord lives, I'm not taking anything. God gave you a free gift. Just be grateful and live for the Lord. Turn from your sin and serve the true and the living God. So Elisha continues to refuse. He also has a little confused superstition here. He, he says in, in verse 17, he said, uh, If you won't take anything from me, let, let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to the other God, but to the Lord. Now, what, what he has, he has good intentions in what he asks here, but he's a bit confused. He wants some dirt from Israel. Two mule loads of dirt. I don't know how much that is. I know what a dump truck load of dirt is. Uh, I don't know how much dirt a, a mule could carry, but it, it would be enough to serve as a, a basis for an altar where he would, he would put it, build an altar on top of it. But what's, why does he want dirt? Well, some of you probably brought sand from the seashore, haven't you? Anybody here ever bring sand or, or dirt from California or maybe from some place you used to live? People do things like that. None of you would ever do anything like that. But what's going on back here is the fact that there was the thinking in the ancient Middle East that gods were kind of regional gods. Uh, they were gods over their land. Israel had their god. Syria had their god. The Babylonians had their gods. The Egyptians had their gods. And in fact, when, they went to, when people went to war with each other, who, whoever had the bigger gods was going to be the winner. So if, if, you want a, if you want a battle, you want a war, that showed your gods were greater than the gods of the nation that you went to war against. They, they were kind of regional gods. And, and this guy, Naaman, makes a statement on one hand that's accurate. I know there's no other god except the god of Israel. That's a good thing. There aren't any other gods. Great. But he's still demonstrating a little bit of confusion here. I need some dirt from Israel. So I can build an altar because the God I'm going to worship now is the God of, of Israel. And so I need some dirt from Israel to build my altar. Well, he's just a little confused in this. 
Because in, in actuality, where's our God the God of? He's the God of Syria. He's the God of Israel. He's the God of America. He's the God of Russia. He's the God of all the earth. We sang the song tonight. This is my Father's world. How much of it? The whole thing. Our God is transcendent. We can worship our God right here in this church. We can worship Him in Carroll, Michigan. We can worship Him if we go away on vacation someplace. We can worship God no matter where we're at. He is God of all the earth. And we need to recognize that fact. And, and you know, this, this guy Naaman, he, he's, just, he's a little confused. It's not that he's doing something wrong. He's just a little confused because of the, the background that he's come out of and some of the superstition that he's lived with. Uh, so it, it just kind of messes the picture up a little bit. Not that he's sinning here, just a little confusion. We find he also mentions in verse 18, he says, In this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimmon to worship there. And he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimmon. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Uh, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. He, he knows that when he goes back, he's the bodyguard for the king of Syria. And the king of Syria worshipped this god Rimmon, who was the god of thunder, probably with demons behind him. And Naaman knew he was going to have to go as the bodyguard. He's going to have to go with the king. And so he says, may God forgive me. And, and really, he didn't really need forgiveness here. He wasn't going to go and worship, but he was going to have to go and, and be protecting his king when he went into that temple. But it's interesting, he's got that sensitivity. You know, I don't, I don't want to do anything wrong. I don't want to do anything questionable. And it, 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 you know, it probably would not have been a great thing for him to, to go there an awful lot. But we, we find that here he's sensitive to it. And, and Elisha doesn't make a big deal out of it. He just says in verse 19, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. Now, with some of these things, some of the confusion, some of the shortcomings of Naaman, we can understand that. The guy's a pagan. Now, he was a pagan. That's his background. Came from Syria. Didn't know anything about the Ten Commandments. Didn't know anything about the Scriptures. He wasn't, he wasn't raised with the, the tabernacle or the temple anywhere around him. The, these are all things that are, are part of, of Israel. So he, he's got kind of a, an untaught background. And we, we, can, we can understand that. And we can uh, realize why Elisha is, seems to be very patient with him. He's kind of a, uh, kind of a baby believer. You know, he just didn't have full understanding. And the fact of the matter is, when a person becomes a Christian, you don't all of a sudden have a Ph.D. in, in theology or anything like that. You don't know everything. You know, and the Christian life's all about growing. Growing in what we understand, growing in our actions, growing in what we do, growing in pleasing the Lord. And, you know, one of the things we need to learn to do is, is to be patient with baby Christians. You know what, I am so, I am so thankful for baby Christians. I, I, I love baby Christians. That means, that means people are coming to Christ. 
You know, how do you get a baby? Well, you, you have somebody born. How do you get a baby Christian? You get somebody born again. They come to recognize they're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior, and they put their trust in Him and thank God for baby Christians. We're in big trouble as a church if we ever stop having baby Christians. Now, there's two ways to have them. First of all, we can have our own kids and lead them to Christ and have them come as baby Christians. We can also share the gospel with people out in the community. And no matter what their age is, and we need to be doing that and see lives changed and see people come to know Christ. And when they do come to know Christ, you know, they may not talk the talk the way that we've learned to talk the talk if we're brought up in church all of our lives. Uh, that they may have some things that they struggle with. Well, that's good. That's good. We need to be patient with them and, and help them to, to grow in their Christian walk as they, they go along. Now, we find that, that as far as marring the picture here of God's masterpiece of salvation, you know, Naaman doesn't really mess it up too bad, does he? For one thing, Elisha kind of helps it. When he tries to pay for the gift from God, What's Elisha do? No way. No way. What you get from God is free. And when we give gifts and offerings to the Lord, we're not paying for salvation. We're not paying for anything from God. We, we, we show our love and our appreciation to the Lord. But we find that uh, there's a whole lot more damage that, that's done to this beautiful masterpiece, which is a picture of salvation, by a fellow by the name of Gehazi, who was the servant of Elisha. He should have known better. Naaman's from a pagan background. Uh, Gehazi, he had tremendous opportunities. He was a Jew. He was from Israel. He was the servant of Elisha. Uh, he had been with Elisha when Elisha did some amazing things. He's right there when Elisha raises the, the, from the dead the, the young man of the, the woman of, of Zarephath. He, he's right there to see that. He sees some amazing things happen through the ministry of Elisha. But that doesn't mean that he's not subject to temptation, not subject to difficulty. In fact, we, we, we see that... Uh, uh, we need to thank God for the opportunities that we have. You and I have tremendous opportunities to, to know God and, and to really get grounded in the faith. we got tremendous opportunities. Uh, many of us were raised in Christian homes where we had parents that taught us about Jesus from the time that, that we can remember. Uh, here in America, we've got Bibles all over the place. I'll bet if we took a survey... Probably most of us here, there's, there's, we got at least five Bibles in our home. The Bible is so readily available. This church is open uh, numerous days through the week for the teaching of the Word of God. There, there, there's teaching available. There, there's good teaching available on, on, on television. On the, uh, some bad teaching as well. Uh, there's good teaching available on the Internet. There, there's tremendous books out there. You need to, to watch out for the negative stuff that's there, but... But there's opportunity for the good stuff. Tremendous opportunity. And uh, we're responsible for the way we respond to those opportunities that we have, for the light that we have. Gehazi had tremendous light. But boy, does he mess up. Look at verse 20. 
Naaman's departed. And it says in verse 20, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. You know what he's saying here? This is a terrible waste. You know, Elisha has done something tremendous for Naaman, and what did he get out of it? He got nothing out of it materially, but he was obedient to God. That's the important thing he got out of it. Gehazi says, I'm not going to let that happen. And, and that, now he gets all spiritual sounding. You know, just because somebody sounds spiritual doesn't mean they are. He takes an oath before God, and he says, as the Lord lives, I'm not going to let him get away with that. The Lord lives, I'm going to go and get something. Did that make it right? Because he throws God's name into the mix? Now, you can throw God's name in the mix. Sometimes people talk about, well, I prayed about this or that or the other thing. A uh, person prays about whether they should marry an unbeliever or not. Well, if, if you're a Christian and, and you're thinking about marrying an unbeliever, you know what? You don't have to pray about that. Because God's already told you what his will is on the matter. He says, don't do it. Don't be unequally yoked. By the way, that's not just marriage. That carries over into business. You know, you're thinking about going into business. You've got an unsaved guy that wants to partner with you. Don't do it. And you don't have to pray about it. And you can say, well, I did pray about it. And I think I should do it. So that means it must be God's will. No, the fact that you think you ought to do something just because you prayed about it doesn't make it God's will, especially if it contradicts Scripture. I've got to tell you, one of the things that bugs me about, about morning is when people use God. People try to use God. And they try to get all spiritual and sound all religious and all hyper-spiritual and everything when they're doing something that runs completely contrary to the Word of God. People living in immorality. And they say, well, I, I, I've got peace about it. God's given me peace about it. No, God didn't give you peace about that. If you're living in immorality, that, that's sin in the eyes of Almighty God. Gehazi gets all spiritual, doesn't make it right. And so he, he makes a plan here, and uh, he pursues, in verse 21, he pursued Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? Well, this is impressive. This general sees Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, coming, and he recognizes him. And Naaman the general gets down out of his chariot and talks directly to him. Gehazi must be thinking, well, this must be God's will. You know, God stopped that guy. God had him recognize me. God had him speak to me. And then we find that Gehazi comes up in verse 22. And uh, he said, all is well. And then he starts. My master has sent me. Lie number one. Had Elisha sent him? No way. No way. I don't care if he says, as the Lord lives, I'm going to go after him and get something. Elisha hadn't sent him. He bold-faced lie here. 
Can you believe people could do that? I mean, tell things that are just flat out contrary to fact, contrary to truth. Have you ever experienced somebody doing that to you? <laughs> are we capable of doing that? We can. Doesn't make it right. Not right in the eyes of God. My master sent me, saying, and here's a message from supposedly from Elisha. Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. These are seminary students. Seminary students are poor. They don't have a lot of money. And so these poor seminary students come down, supposedly. By the way, this is all a lie. None of it's true. It's an impressive-sounding story. And just one big problem with it. it's not historical fact. That makes it a lie, no matter how elaborate and how convincing it might sound. Now, these two young prophets came, and, and now, now please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Elisha had these, these seminary students come, and now he needs some money for them and some clothes for them. Needs money to feed them. So give me a talent of silver and some clothing for these guys. And Naaman says in verse 23, Please take two talents. Oh, this must be God blessing here. No, it's not. No, it's not. Please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. Oh, is God blessing. Not only does he get two talents instead of one talent, Naaman sending his servants to carry the stuff for him. Surely this is God, right? No, it's not. No, it's not. It's Gehazi telling a convincing lie. It's Naaman who's being deceived here, who's now a regenerate man, and he does want to do something to help, something to show his appreciation of the Lord. And so, man, he's going over and above. I'll give you two talents instead of one. Here's the clothes. My guys will carry it for you. And uh, I just I want to do that for you. Well, it's just one big problem. Gehazi's lying in this whole thing. Who's he want this for? There's no seminary students. He wants this for himself. He's thinking, man, what, what a shame to see all that, that material wealth just go back to Syria. We should keep it here in Israel, and I'll use it to stimulate the economy here. And it'll be good for everybody. I, I don't know what all he went through to convince himself. But it was wrong. And, and we find him lying and lying and lying. And, and sadly, he seems to be successful. The fact that you succeed in doing something that's sinful doesn't mean it's blessed by God. It just means you, <laughs> you, you're enjoying the, the wages of sin for a season pleasures us in for a season but it's only temporary we find that in verses 25 and 26 Gehazi gets back to Elisha and it says now he went in and, and stood before his master and Elisha said to him where did you go Gehazi and what did Gehazi say what do you mean go I didn't go anywhere. 
here he is again. What, what would you call what he's saying here? I would call it a lie. I heard a one fellow tell another guy one time, he says, uh, I wouldn't accuse you of lying, but you sure do have a peculiar way of handling the truth. Well, Gehazi certainly has a peculiar way of handling the truth. What is it right to lie? You have a right to lie. And here he's lying, lying flat out to Elisha. The, the only thing that he, he forgets here, who's Elisha? Elisha's the man of God. Elisha is the prophet of God. Elisha is the man to whom God speaks. Elisha is the man to whom God reveals things. And in verse 26, then he said to him, Elisha said, did not my heart go with you? When the man turned back from his chariot to meet you, is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. Elisha not only knows what happened, but he also knew the planning that, that was going on in Gehazi's mind. If I can get that money, I can buy some land. I can get some sheep. I can get some oxen. I can have some olive groves. That's what he's thinking about. I can get all those things. Some of that money, get some of that silver, some of that gold off of Naaman. How did Elisha know that? God revealed it to him. Oh, by the way, who else knew about these lies? Who else knew about this deceit that Gehazi is carrying out? God, God did. God, even if he hadn't revealed it to Elisha, he's sinning right before an all-knowing God as well. And what a sad thing that is. Sometimes we do the same thing. We tell lies thinking we're to, to keep ourselves out of trouble, thinking we're going to get away with it. And by the way, you never tell one lie, do you? One lie always leads to another lie, to another lie. And it, 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 it's sad. You know, if, you, if you're going to be a liar, you better have a good memory. Because you have to remember what you've told everybody. And who you've told what. You know what's a whole lot simpler? Just don't lie. Tell the truth as God would have us. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. And we find that he's discovered. He is he's rebuked. He's rebuked by Elisha. Man, I know, what's, I know what was going on. And I, I know what you're even thinking about these things. And then in verse 27, Elisha says, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. I am so glad I'm not from the family of Gehazi. How about you? Leprosy's going to cling to you. Naaman gets rid of his leprosy, and Gehazi gets the leprosy. You know, it doesn't say anything in the text. Do you suppose he got to keep the silver and the clothes? doesn't say he lost it. But you know what? Once he gets the leprosy, who cares about the silver? Who cares about the clothing? Naaman didn't care about all that. When he brought it down from, from Syria, the thing he wanted most was, was, was cleansing. And he got, Naaman got more than he thought he was going to get. He wanted physical cleansing, and he ends up coming into a saving relationship with the true and the living God. Here Gehazi ends up being struck with leprosy. And Elisha tells him what's going to happen, 
and then it closes out in verse 27 says and he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow advanced leprosy not an amazing thing you go on in chapter 8 and we find Gehazi still shows up as a servant of Elisha later on but he's leprous he's a leper there's something about the grace of God right there so what do we find here uh, th th there are also other people that like Gehazi we see this guy by the name of Demas who was with Paul and forsook him and uh, we find that it's a serious thing today to rebel against God when we have great light when you know God's truth we are responsible to respond to it and to believe it and to put it into action in our lives that's true of unbelievers one of the worst thing can ever happen is somebody to go to hell from the United States of America as, as readily available as the gospel is but it's also true for you and me as believers uh, we've got tremendous light we are responsible for that light and I don't know about you but when I see the Lord I want him to say to me well done good and faithful servant I don't want him to rebuke me at the beam of seat of Christ saying hey you had all these opportunities and you turned away from them. you didn't really use them so we find that every believer is a masterpiece of God's grace if you're here tonight as a Christian it's because of the grace of Almighty God and you're a canvas on which God wants to paint beautiful masterpiece we're pictures of God's power to change lives to give victory over sin to change eternal destinies and let me encourage each of us let's not mess up the masterpiece let's not try to add something to salvation thinking we can somehow pay for it or buy it just be thankful for the grace of God and respond to it in repentance and faith and also be careful don't follow the path of Gehazi loving this present world more than God that's what Demas did that's what Gehazi did and there have been many believers that have been uh, led astray by loving the things of this world more than God you know we can mess up our picture of salvation but I am certainly glad we can't mess up salvation itself we can't can we it's it's God's plan it's God's salvation and it's salvation by grace through faith and even when we fail even when we stumble God's plan of salvation is still the same what a great thing but how much better it is when we're a good picture of it we're a good model of it for other people to see let's be like Naaman not like Gehazi father thank you for the cautions we could gain even from studying this passage of scripture tonight we thank you for your great salvation that's so rich and free that is a gift of grace to us and we pray that you'd make us appreciative people help us to glorify you in all that we say and all that we do and uh, father we ask this give us your help we ask in jesus name amen uh, you know the chorus thank you lord for saving my soul let's stand and sing that before we leave i don't we don't have music for it but we'll just try to do it a cappella. help us out thank you lord for saving my soul thank you lord for making me whole thank you lord for giving to me thy great salvation 
so rich and free. Go forth and be a